0: You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hi everyone, we're back with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Abby Eblin from Nashville Fertility Center. And today I'm joined with my co-host and friends, Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center and Dr. Carrie Bedient from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas. We're so glad to be back with you guys today. And we were just talking right before we started today. I had this really new gadget and I don't know a lot about it. I'm learning more about it. It's called a cricket. Have you guys heard of that before? I have never heard of a cricket. <laughs> oh I... <laughs> it's like out in your yard. It's this really cool. Yeah, cool there's plenty of them in my yard. Tool. Have you heard of it, Carrie? Yes. I
1: have a couple of girlfriends who have them and they have made us all, all sorts of stuff. Like one friend made a, she got a wine cooler set that you can take out on a picnic, um, and is appropriately camouflaged so that you don't get arrested, which is always a good start. Um, although with the open container laws in Vegas, that's not too much of a case. That's
0: that's not a big deal. I'm Um, sure. in Vegas.
1: But she she labeled those, put our initials on them. And then my favorite thing is one of my other friends who she's had it for a while. So she's pretty good at it. She made me Las Vegas Golden Knights shoes. And so she took Woo. a pair of-
2: So what I does this com- thing do? Like,
1: it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Abby, I can't wait to see what you come up with.
2: So it, it cuts,
0: it die cuts, meaning that it looks just like a printed sign somewhere. And so you have this, you go onto this- thing on your computer and you can basically it's almost like you're a graphic artist you can you can add any logos you can download stuff from the internet so like um, my son's school is fra and so i can download that and do some things with that i can download the logo from national fertility and i could potentially make shirts for everybody it actually cuts vinyl and then you press the vinyl you have an iron-on transfer and you press the vinyl onto a shirt you can uh do it with you can put it onto a cup, um, but you can personalize anything. You can make signs, you know, in your house or, you know, sayings that you like. Um, so it's really cool, but I haven't really, and you can cut paper too. They have some really cute like cards, like 3D cards you can make. And How big is this device? It looks like a printer is what it looks like. And really that's kind of what it is. You, you kind of do the software from your laptop. And then with Bluetooth, you load it into your Cricut and then you it tells you exactly what you need, like what colors you need. And um, if you, know, you tell it, if you're going to make like a card or if you're going to do some vinyl logo that you're going to either put onto a, a cooler or a cup or, or you know, or, or shirt or whatever. And then you just press it on. You have some transfer media that you that you press it on with.
1: So have you played with it yet? Like have you made anything?
0: No, I just got it, but I've I've come up with some logo things. My friends have a derby party in Louisville, Kentucky, and so they have it every year, so I've kind of made a I'm going to make a big sign that has their name on it with their, you know, the annual derby party and, you know, with all the logos from, you know, the Run for the Roses and horses and stuff on it. So so I'm really excited. I think it'll be a good, good Christmas gift for them.
2: I'm not an exceptionally crafty person, but I need <laughs> friends who have this type of device for me. That's what I need. <laughs> that's what you need, that's right. Because, you
0: know, ultimately there's only so many things that you can make for yourself or your own family. So, you know, that's, that's really all you need. <laughs> So, you know, send them my way, Susan. I'll I'll, I'll send. I you, will. I will. <laughs> I'm
2: like, hmm, what do I need personalized?
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: Good stuff. Oh, Abby, I've already got ideas for you if you need... Um, if you need things, I will send you the material if you tell me what it is that you need because I've got all this Vegas Golden Knights stuff that I wanted to do and I can't do anything <laughs> with clothing. To I don't myself. know about
0: that, Carrie. I, 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 you know, I'm a Nashville Predators fan, so I don't know if I can make Golden Knights stuff for you, but but maybe, maybe, maybe. I will inspect it closely upon its return
1: <laughs> if you so choose to do so to make sure that there, there is nothing with the Predators snuck in there so that okay. I am advertising for the enemy. <laughs>
2: It could be reversible, so depending on like you could you could make it so that you could go to both teams depending on what city you're in. Oh, you're so
1: cute! That'll never happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it doesn't work like that.
2: <laughs> well, guys,
0: I think we have some questions today that we were gonna that some of our um, listeners have asked. And so, Susan, if you want to read off the first question, we're gonna answer those for a little bit, and then we'll kind of go
2: into our discussion today. All right. So um, the question that we have for, for this episode is how does it make you feel when things don't go the way you hoped for um, your patients? Do you ever feel like you have failed someone? Oh, that's a that's that really touches our heart. It 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 absolutely does. I mean, you know, when um I always tell my patients that I'm a professional warrior. <laughs> like I sit there and worry about them all the time. Like my, my staff really probably don't like it when I'm driving because I'll be driving. And if I don't have the radio on, I'm sitting there like going through things in my head and I'm constantly calling saying, hey, what about this person? What about this person? You know, and, and so, you know, it, at least for me, my patients are always on my mind. And, and you know, we're always, you know, trying to, we, we, want, we want that baby almost as much as you do and um you know we've we we've been in that situation and it it's it hurts it hurts when we're not successful and um you know we um there there are happy tears and there are sad tears in our offices and, and um you know I, I find some peace in that I know that I am not the final authority on whether or not a, a pregnancy happens. Um, but um, I, I always try to give it my best. And I, I agree. I, Susan, when you said you're a professional warrior, we're, we're, we're kindred spirits because sometimes
0: I'll wake up in the mornings and I'll think about, Oh my gosh, did I tell so-and-so this, or did I do that? And, and, you know, and, you know, when you know somebody that you've really worked with for you know a while is coming up on a prayer i mean it's like you think about it and you worry about it and you know when people fail i mean i don't i don't think patients realize how much we take it to heart and how sad it really makes us and you know sometimes honestly i have to take a step back because i do get so upset sometimes when things don't go well and you know i have to tell myself that you know, I've, all I can do is do my best. And, I, you know, like you said, I, I'm, I'm a religious person and I think it's in God's hands. I don't think it's necessarily completely in my hands. And so that's, I take comfort from that, but sometimes it really hurts when, you know, when you expect something to be good, give somebody good news and, and you don't, you, you can't give them good news.
1: It's It's pretty much always personal and it's something that we have spent so long thinking about and training for and working for. And and I notice it most when, you know, I'll wake up at two in the morning and is usually to put a kid back in bed or help him go to the bathroom or something like that. But then when I'm up for an hour or two or longer, because I'm thinking about, well, what about this patient and what can I do and is there something I've missed and how could I have changed it? How could I be more careful uh, obsessing about how can we get the outcome that they want? I mean, it's, it's personal and, and I agree with both of you. It's, I, I am not the final authority on whether or not a pregnancy does or does not occur. There's a lot of things with biology and nature that we just can't control as hard as we may try. Um, and sometimes I really have to remind myself because I forget of I am not the patient because otherwise the weight of it would be so heavy that that I would never be able to get up and go to work the next day and in some ways that seems very callous but but also on the other hand it's it's how you can continue to to function when you have. Because all of us have these days where you'll have weeks of everything going right and beautifully. And then one day where you're calling one pregnancy test, or sometimes it's two, or you see one negative and then a miscarriage comes in. And it doesn't matter that you've just had three weeks of a beautiful record. That one day, and sometimes it's just 20 minutes out of that one day, will destroy you for the next two weeks as you're thinking about what could I, coulda, shoulda, woulda done.
2: Mm Mm-hmm absolutely absolutely so we all take it to heart we we really do so and,
0: and i would say too it's not just us it's our nurses and really everybody in the you know even even people that work at our front desk will come back and they'll be like oh dr Edwin, i saw you know your patient and she was just so happy and i'm so excited for her and it's just it, it's not just us either it's just everybody in the office mm-hmm. i think that that you know because our patients come so often we all get to know you really well and so we're all really happy when you're happy and,
2: and really sad when you're sad. I always say that fertility is a team sport. Yes. And that team goes beyond the one or two people who are, who are patients. Um, it, it really is the, the entire community of, of everybody in the office that that's, that's pulling for all of you and, and really trying to make these little miracles happen.
0: So today, tell us what our topic's going to be, Susan.
2: So we are going to call talk about what I call IVF 2.0. So um, sometimes people go through egg retrievals um, for various reasons, and things don't always turn out the way that we expect them to. I, I always um, tell my patients that IVF is not only therapeutic, in that we're trying to um, get our patients pregnant, but it's also diagnostic. There's some things that we just don't absolutely know until we go through it. So um, I thought it would be great for our listeners to have some perspective of what are some things that we look at in IVF stimulations um, that we may do differently in one stimulation versus a next Um, it it just, because I know sometimes patients are like, how, how do you decide, do I do another cycle? Is is it worth it? And and so that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today.
1: So what
0: do you think, Carrie?
1: So whenever I have someone who goes through, through a second cycle, I, I try and set expectations appropriately for the first cycle. And in most cases, I'm pretty good about saying, okay, this is This is your overall percentage of getting through retrieval, of getting through transfer. If we can make it to transfer, it's a higher success rate because you are are deeper into the race. You are closer to the finish line. But, and I, I pretty much tell everybody, hey, look, we can do dramatically better than anticipated or we can have no embryos at the end of the day to transfer and... And sometimes there's things that I can adjust and there's, then sometimes there's not. So what I automatically do is when they come back after we've had a couple days of pause, because when you make that phone call to say, I'm sorry, there's no embryos there, going back to the question, you know, we, we feel that that is never a good phone call. And in some ways, that is a much worse phone call to make than a negative pregnancy test, because at least for a negative preg test, you had a shot, if you don't have any embryos, you're stopping a lot earlier and it it feels much more acute. And so what I'll do is after a couple of days, I will take her full chart. So not only the clinic chart, but the lab chart. And by that point, I've already talked to my laboratory and, and said, okay, what, what have you seen? Ha, did you see anything with the eggs? Did you see anything with the sperm? And we go back and we revisit that to see, um, like Susan said, is there anything that is diagnostic that we picked up of hey maybe that sperm really didn't look good because even though they had the big general lab with a sperm analysis that looked great maybe when they got here with the trained andrologists it didn't look so good so maybe we start him on some vitamins and and maybe we need to give him some fsh or some clomid or something to improve that and really look at the the ivf cycle did she absorb her medications did her progesterone start going high after trigger did it go really high indicating, hey, these eggs are probably competent or didn't it? And, and start to tinker of what can I do? Because the first the first cycle you plan is based off of the however many hundreds of cycles you've done, thousands of cycles you've done in the past. But the second cycle you plan is all of those plus one. And, and that's that, the most important one. <laughs> exactly. And so you go back and, and really review and say, hey, did you absorb the medication? What was the cohort of eggs look like? Were they all the same size or were they different? Um, those are just a couple of the things that I look at. There's a lot more than that. But what do you what do you girls look at?
0: I think when 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 patients stimulate and they don't stimulate well, kind of the first thing I sort of look at is and I feel like there's a sweet spot in terms of the number of days they need to stimulate. And I think you would probably both agree you don't want them to trigger or go too quickly, and you don't want them to go too slowly. And so, kind of one of the things I try and do is think well. If I tweak the medicines in a certain way, will I be able to get their cycles you know the length that I want them so that hopefully the eggs will have optimal maturity? Um, I think maturity is a key thing too for all of us. you know you may get fifteen eggs, but if only five of them are mature that's that 's a bummer because we can only use eggs that are mature and there 's certain characteristics that the lab looks at to determine that, and none of us know that until after the eggs have been retrieved and are in the lab. And so I look back to see how many were immature and some of the things that we can do, there's some different ways we can tweak medicine. Um, There's a hormone called HCG that sometimes we'll add in or or another medicine called HMG or Menopur that we'll add in. And sometimes that can help the maturity because it's a quality, It's you know, IVF is a quality game, but it's also a numbers game. If you don't get a reasonable number of eggs, you're not gonna have a reasonable number of embryos.
2: Absolutely. One thing that I I try to look at is, you know, when when we started the cycle, kind of looking at those, looking at re, looking at the FSH and estradiol and AMH levels, and and how I came to that initial what medicine. You know what type of stimulation protocol am I going to do, and what did I get at the end? You know, I had lot, what were the sizes of the follicles? Were they all kind of a similar cohort? Um, were we maybe you know at the beginning of the cycle we had some little teeny tiny follicles, and then a couple big ones that we ended up having to call the shots based on, um, and then also looking at how um, the, how the eggs ended up looking in the lab, because sometimes we, we know that adding in certain medicines, um, like growth hormone in certain people can potentially improve quality. And, you know, one thing that I encourage, um, my, my patients to understand also is that just because we didn't do something the first time doesn't necessarily mean we did it wrong the first time. Um, I kind of compare it to if somebody goes to the emergency room for chest pain they don't go back for bypass surgery immediately. <laughs> they, they get evaluated and they might have reflux or they might need a stent, which is much less invasive, but very appropriate for that, for that particular situation. And if that stent doesn't work, then sometimes that bypass surgery makes sense. And, and that can k- kind of bring those things together.
0: Tell me what you meant about the cohort of eggs Susan. and you mentioned that you said there's some that may be little and some that may be, be big. Kind of, what's your goal for the size of the follicles and how they develop? And
2: well, when you know, I, I kind of look at ovaries as um, you kind of you have what you have, um, you know, and, and so you know, some people are going to have more eggs than other people, but I prefer to start a stimulation where all of the little follicles are approximately the same size. And so in my experience, if I have, you know, kind of a group that are three to four to five millimeters, and then I have another group that are kind of seven, eight, nine millimeters at the the beginning, that's the person that I'm actually kind of concerned that we're going to end up with not the entire tight cohort. I'd rather have all of them be. I'd rather them all either be little teeny tiny or all of them being a little bit bigger. They're, they all need to be small. But the more similar they are, the more I feel reassured at the end of that ten to twelve days of stimulation that i'm that I'm gonna get. An even distribution throughout the ovary, and,
0: and that's because you sort of assume or hope that they're all going to kind of grow at the same rate, correct? Exactly. So Retrieve a bunch of eggs instead of a bunch of over mature ones and some under mature ones. Exactly.
1: So we've done a, a couple of studies looking at the actual egg number and what the size is and how that correlates to maturity. Because, um, like Abby was saying, there's the traditional teaching when we we all went through training was that if you have eggs that get too big, they are overmature and they are unusable in the same way that if you have eggs that are too small, they are undermature and unusable. And so we actually measured every single follicle as they were coming out. Um, oh. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm looking at Susan's face and there's a look of horror there because really challenging. <laughs> it is very time intensive. So we added Do you do that my-
2: all the time or was that just for the study?
1: It was just for the study, but we've actually found we get really nice results when we do it because it means it's a, it forces us... And there's multiple docs in our practice. And so we found it with each of us of it forces everyone to, to pay just a little bit more attention because if nothing else, I have to pause for five seconds for my ultrasonographer to go in and get the measurement before I start aspirating fluid. And it is horribly time-intensive and my staff hates it. And every time they hear research, they're like, oh my God, not again. Um, and I don't blame them at all. And there are moments when all three docs are the same of, I can't wait till this study's over. But what we found, which is important, is that those big ones don't necessarily have a post-mature point. So you can push them much further than the traditional teaching shows. And the advantage of that is you can get some of those Little guys that you would otherwise ordinarily say, oh, I've got some lead ones I need to trigger, but you're leaving a bunch of little guys on the table. You can push everything a couple more days, get the big ones bigger, not lose them, and get those small ones bigger so you've got more to work with. Because because like Abby said, it is a numbers game. You have to have something to work
2: with. Carrie, I have a question in, in your study because I this is a um, Susan Hudson theory, so there's no science <laughs> behind the theory. It's just kind of my my experience. I think I get more eggs out of those medium-sized follicles than I do out of those great big ones. Is there any support to that in your in your um, in your study? There's there is some.
1: It's not as much as you would think. Okay, and so. When you, when you do get an egg out of them, they're good. Um, when we first did the first pass of the study, the the class that we designated as the really big ones, we, we lumped them together because we're like, oh yeah, by the time you get to 24, 26 millimeters, yeah, whatever, it doesn't make a difference. Well, now that we've done it, we're like, oh, we need to do it again. And we need to really stratify those big ones down, because I think there might be a sweet spot in there. Um, but I have found that on the bigger ones, you actually do get as many eggs as you think, maybe maybe not quite as many as the midsize ones, um, but you still get more. And when you do get them, they're mature and they translate into the same percentages of good quality euploid embryos.
2: I think it's just interesting because I think when most of us did our training, our major focus was on those big follicles. We didn't really pay attention to the medium and definitely not the little follicles. And, uh, you know, I think the, the, the push nowadays is push those follicles a little bit bigger so that yes, you're going to get, you're going to get some out of those, those big ones. You're going to get some out of the little ones, but it's that, that kind of, Middle cohort that that's that's where you want your your most numbers kind mm-hmm. of to fall.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree. The sweet spot is is getting them all in that mid to big range mm-hmm. and keeping them in one cohort. I mean, that's that is a hundred percent the sweet spot.
0: I'm a little older than you guys, but one of the reasons why we used to not do that so much is because we transferred patients and did egg retrieval or t- embryo transfers five days later. Now we know from work with your partner, carrier or from studies from your partner, that, you know, there's benefits to babies if we don't do embryo transfers in the same cycle where we do egg retrievals. Mm-hmm. And so the nice thing is we can push patients further, their estrogen levels get higher. Previously, that was a problem because they w- would get hyperstimulated. Now we can trigger them with a different medicine than we used to trigger them with, and they don't have the same risk of hyperstimulation as they used to. So kind of those things went hand in hand, I think.
2: So I, I want to add a little personal story. When I went through my egg retrieval, um, so first my husband is non-medical; he's a computer guy. Um, I went through my retrieval, came out. I was recovering from anesthesia, so I didn't know. I, I didn't know anything they were telling us, and they talked to my husband and was like, "We got seven eggs, and they all came out of little follicles." And he had no idea. What that meant (laughs) in my my brain. So I wake up from anesthesia and he's like, We got seven eggs. And I'm like, Yay. And he goes, They came from little follicles, not knowing that in my brain I was like, Ah. And I started crying. And why did you cry? Because
0: you thought they were what? Why why were you worried? I I was
2: scared they were going to be immature, that they weren't going to have enough oomph to result in um, a little baby. But I want our listeners to know that beautiful children can come out of those little follicles because my daughter did, <laughs> and so You're a poor um, husband. <laughs> I know, poor thing. He he thought he was telling me something happy, and I'm like bawling. So you know, a, an egg is an egg, and those eggs have the potential to make into those babies, and that that's what you have to focus on.
0: So we've talked a little bit now about kind of ways that we think we can help with egg number, the goals that we have for egg number. But tell me what you guys think about um, egg quality. What what can we do? If somebody has poor stimulation, doesn't have very high quality eggs or embryos, what would you guys try and do differently to tweak that?
2: I think so there- one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Susan. You're off. Sorry. <laughs> So, some of it depends on kind of the background of that person. Okay. And what I mean by is um, if my patient is overweight, I think that working on diet and exercise and weight loss can definitely have a big impact on that quality. Um, I have recently started using some growth hormone or Omnitrope on some of those people, and I've had some good success. Um, you know, adding certain types of vitamins like we've talked about before, DHEA, CoQ10. Um, th- those are those are some things that kind of come o- uh, off the, the top of my mind. Um, unfortunately, there's not a whole, you know, the battling quantity is a whole lot easier a job than battling quantity. That, that's a, a completely different fight. And so I, I think we're somewhat limited. But th- those are some of my kind of top things that I think of. What about you, Carrie?
1: I, I do similar things in a sense of I'll start them on CoQ10. Um, DHES will do occasionally. I tend not to use the Omnitrope and some of those other medications just because when you look at the studies, like it gets you maybe one more egg, but it doesn't necessarily translate to overall number of embryos. And so I tend to steer away from that. Um, we've got another study coming out soon that... I don't want to. I don't want to spill the beans on it just yet, but <laughs> it's it's proving very favorable to maturity on eggs, um, and so we use that medication. Um, but a lot of times, it's just telling people, okay, clean clean everything up as much as you can. Nutrition, diet, like all the. I don't want to say diet. Nutrition is a better word for it. Um, weight and alcohol, tobacco exposures get everything as much as you can. It takes about 90 days for that egg to grow. So give us what you got.
0: Because quality can kind of mean two things to me too. Not only how the embryo looks morphologically or the shape of it or how it develops or how well it develops, but also the, the, the chromosomes. And I think for me, when you have, you know, four or five beautiful embryos that are tested and you find out that All of them have chromosomally or all the embryos are chromosomally abnormal. That is so frustrating. And I think that's a problem that really none of us know what to do about. Um, You know, I do do try and add in some antioxidants. Um, Coenzyme Q10 is one that we use a lot in our practice, too. Mm -hmm. We usually use about 600 milligrams because that's what most of the studies have shown. And in theory, it's supposed to help cell division and potentially Helps with cell division in the embryos, and and so that's. But other than that, I don't know. Really, nobody else knows what it, what to do about genetically abnormal embryos. And I think in our practice, if we have a patient who has several pretty embryos but that are genetically abnormal, we'll usually try a stimulation one more time. And then I think if all the embryos are abnormal, I tend not to encourage to do a third cycle. But I will say I can think of at least three patients. One who I just had who had no normal embryos in two cycles, third cycle, normal embryo, and she's pregnant now. So, I mean, it can happen, but it's, you know, it's really expensive and really involved to do that many cycles. And certainly I'm not advocating that, but it's, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of the patients, it feels kind of like we're out in Las Vegas pulling that handle. And we feel like, you know, if we just try one more time, we can be successful. And so um, sometimes that can be really disappointing though, when you have beautiful embryos, but they're all genetically abnormal and there's just not a good solution for that.
1: One of one of my lines with my patients that I tell them is, "You want to gamble in Vegas? Forget the Strip. This is gambling in <laughs> Vegas. Oh, I love because that. Stakes are a lot higher, and and we are well off the Strip. But uh, the gambling that goes on, and, yeah. And ironically, it's my professional gamblers who do the best with the uncertainty of IVF. They like they just get it. They they understand the numbers, and they're like, yeah, 'Yeah, we'll give it a shot.' It's it's only money. We will give it a shot.
2: But there's certain people that thrive on that too. So <laughs> Yes,
1: I would say that is a minority of my patients, but but it's an interesting mindset that it, it serves them very
0: well getting through this without as much agony. Yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, you have to be a risk taker to do this. I mean, you do have to kind of take that leap of faith and you're spending a lot of money and a lot of emotional energy and a lot of time, but and if you don't take that emotional leap, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna potentially have the big payoff at the end.
1: It's actually kind of funny because looking at the three of us, I would not describe any of the three of us as risk takers in <laughs> any way, shape,
0: or form. I'm usually not, but I was in that one situation where did I be? At. Well, absolutely. Guys, it was great to talk to you guys today, um, and so I think we're gonna wrap things up. And so, to our audience, thanks for listening. Tune in next week for more. Also be sure to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. We'd love to hear from you.
2: You can also visit fertilitydocsandcensor.com to schedule an appointment with any of us or to submit questions that you have about infertility. Um, all the questions are um, addressed anonymously in our Ask the Doc segment. And so please don't hold back. We really want to be there to answer your questions.
1: All right, have a wonderful day and we will talk to you soon. Bye everybody.
0: Bye.